announcements after the transition. Did anybody hear the announcements for the first time today? Yeah, you're like, hey, we have announcements? Oh, they were done really well. Adam did a great job. I love, there is, yeah, well, well done. Um, yeah, I think we're going to start maybe doing it that way a little more often because we were like, hey, people are actually listening to announcements. That's amazing. You didn't necessarily see our video clip start when it started, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get this sorted out, right? We'll, we'll try to get a good flow going. But So pray with me, please. And then we'll eat. Yeah, then we'll eat. Yeah, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, I joined with Nathan's prayer back there. Uh, we're here together because we want to eat of your word and, and to come and get a taste of you and to, to gather together in your midst. We thank you that we don't need to ask you to come because you're the one always calling us to come. So we say we're here, and we're ready, and we're listening, and we're open. And I ask that you would help us to see something that we all do every day, multiple times a day, in a new way this morning, through the lens of your life and love. So thanks, and multiply what we're about to do as light and love into our hearts, because you're good at breaking things open and multiplying it, and nourishing us with who you are. So nourish us this morning. Amen. Hey, so why do we eat? Why, why did most of you make your way over to the coffee, tea, snacks? What did we have, by the way? And, and why did you go there? Go ahead. And you don't, I'm not trying to trick you. So you can, you can give the basic common sense answer. I'm not trying to be patronizing. What's that? Muffins. So you had muffins. Why? Because they're good. Because they're there, right? Why do you climb Mount Everest? Because it's there. Yeah. Why do you eat muffins? Because they're there. Because it nourishes us, right? It helps us manage our blood sugar so we don't turn into the Hulk or, or something different. But we, we eat to fuel ourselves, right? We, we eat to taste of something. And, you know, there's other things mixed into that. But, but I've been thinking maybe a little too much lately about food. And I've been thinking about this theme that I've noticed jumping out of the pages of the scriptures lately. And I want to take you guys on a ride this morning. So buckle up. We're going to almost go on like a, a safari through the scriptures of different ways that the early church and the people of Jesus saw the common meal. What did they think they were doing when they sat down together to take a bite? Do you think we might have something to learn from them? We've been talking about community, and the point I guess I'm trying to get at is, is it possible that community truly happens at the table? And why and how? So let's, uh, are you guys buckled up? This is going to be the opposite of, last week I gave a one verse message. If you guys weren't here last week, it was like my record, my message was one verse long. This week, I'm going to make up for all that I didn't do last week. All right? So are we buckled up? Let's do this. Look at Acts chapter 2. This is the picture of the apostles. You know what? Hey, could somebody grab me a water bottle from the back 
kids' room, please, before I go into a coughing fit. Um, so Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the apostles. It says that the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Those are all very spiritual things, aren't they? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any of them had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, thank you so much, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they're in their homes, and twice in a couple verses it tells us that one of the primary things they spent their time doing was just taking a piece of bread and breaking it and sharing it. How many church value statements do you see if you go onto like church websites and their like mission statement says eat a lot of food together often? <laughs> I haven't seen that. Maybe we need to add our where's Bria? Yeah, we need to make an addendum to our value mission statement as a church. But it says twice in there in a couple of verses, it was about eating food together. Okay. Why? Well, I want to share a couple things that I think happen when we sit down together for a meal that we maybe sometimes take for granted. So the first place we're going to look is in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This is when Jesus calls a young man named Levi, the son of Alphaeus, which is an awesome name, I think. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him and was teaching them. And as he passed by... He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. So this guy, Levi, is a tax collector. How many of you guys love tax time? How many of you guys don't get a big tax refund? (laughs) Yeah. How many of you want to sign up for a job with the IRS? Do we have any employees for the IRS in here? It's like, be careful what I say. Um, To give you a little bit of context, the tax collectors in this day, one of the things that they did was they would charge the taxes that the government basically demanded, but the way they got paid, anybody know how the tax collectors actually got their take-home salary? The fee that they tacked onto the top of the taxes. And in this time, you would go to, you would basically enter a new county or enter a new area, and you would get taxed as you went in, kind of like airport tax. So imagine if you went up to Cayucas from here in Morro Bay, and every time you went in, there was somebody sitting there at a booth, and they taxed you, and there was the normal amount, and then there was the amount on top. Whatever they charged you on top was how they actually fed their children. How many of you would be really excited to hang out with that person outside of work? How many of you guys would be like, that's somebody that I want to spend my time with? And how many of you think that that person would feel really good about their social life? I make my living by bamboozling you. Be my friend there probably wasn't much of a social life that this person would have, would you imagine? Probably didn't experience much acceptance, would you say? I don't know what a modern-day equivalent is. I don't dare even venture to go there. But just put yourself in this person Levi's shoes for a minute. And Jesus comes, and Jesus says, hey, follow me. And this guy gets up, and he follows him. 
And as he reclines at the table at his house, and I'm positive there was food involved, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, and there were many who, go ahead, followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with them, said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, isn't this an interesting answer? So these Pharisees see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, the the outcasts, the scum of the earth, the people that had no social life because nobody wanted to be around them, people that acceptance was not their primary language. And what does Jesus say? He says, oh, I like them. Look at Jesus' response. And how does this even fit? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What a weird answer, isn't it? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, it's interesting that Jesus tells this story right before, I believe, is a story about a healing of a paralyzed man, and right after is a, a few other stories about healing. What is a story about a tax collector sitting at the table with Jesus doing mixed in with a bunch of healing stories? And what on earth does Jesus mean when he says, this man is sitting at my table because it's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick? What does that have to do with anything? Have you guys thought about that before? How many of you feel bummed when you get an invitation to dinner from somebody you admire, respect, and enjoy? How many of you are like, I just hate people wanting my company? Is it possible that Jesus is saying this is not an interlude or an interruption to the stories of healing that I'm doing, but this is actually an example of healing itself? Jesus is saying, do you want to know how healing happens? Healing happens when you come and sit at the table with others because acceptance leads to transformation. And the table and the meal not just symbolizes, but actually is an act of profound acceptance which heals us to our very Do you think that we would look at dinner a little bit differently, maybe even make more of a priority out of having meals as a family if we saw that time as an opportunity for healing and transformation? Or put it this way for a second. You get invited to someone's house for dinner and you have a good time, and then about a month goes by and you don't get invited back. How many of you are just like, oh, no big deal? Uh, what do we think? What do we, what do we wonder is going on? It triggers this sense of rejection in us, doesn't it? Like, what happened? Did we do something wrong? Were we not fun enough? Were we not enjoyable enough? Are we not accepted by them anymore? You guys know, am I, anybody, am I just crazy? Like, or, or do you guys experience what I'm talking about? Am I crazy? Am I not crazy? Are we all crazy? We, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Is it possible that healing happens at the table, that so much more than nourishing our stomachs, it actually nourishes our souls? Hmm. 
Okay, but there's more. There's more going on here. Go to, where are we at? Um, all right, Luke 24. I wish we had about 10 years to spend in this passage. By the way, this fall, I'm really, really excited because where we're going in the fall is we're going to take some time and look at the question of who is Jesus. We're going to look at some of these crazy stories and we're going to take some time to draw out not just the, the theological ramifications of who Jesus is, but the texture of his personality. Can you imagine that Jesus actually had a personality? We're going to take some time to look at that. The sarcasm of Jesus. The cheekiness of Jesus. The power of Jesus. The frustration of Jesus. That's where we're going. And Luke 24 is one that's just a gold mine. And we, but we're just going to hone in on one little piece of it right now. So this is after the resurrection. And the disciples are all dejected. And these two disciples are walking down this road to a place called Emmaus. And they're bummed because their Messiah that they'd given everything to follow is gone. Is out of the picture. Was crucified. Not much of a good Messiah when he's dead. So Jesus, in his resurrected body, comes to them, but they don't recognize him. So much to say here. So little time. And look at what Jesus does. They have a conversation, and they get to where they're going, and Jesus pretends like he's going further. He tricks them. He's like, oh, no, I've got to keep on going. But he didn't even mean it. Have you ever noticed that? He acted as if he's going farther. But they urged him strongly, say, no, Jesus, stay with us. Oh, they don't even know it's Jesus. They say, hey, sir, stay with us. Come have a meal with us. It's getting evening and the day is now spent. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And what happened? Their eyes are open. And they recognize their resurrected Lord. Now this is crazy to me. If you had a resurrected body, if, if Jesus were to give you now your resurrection body, the body that you will have for the rest of your existence, man. All right, so hold on. Is it, let's, let me take you a little further. So, so their eyes are opened at this meal. They're sitting there having this meal. So not only does healing happen at the table, but I also believe that not only do we encounter one another, but we are encountered by Jesus just by sitting and eating a common meal. Jesus opens our eyes to see him in the midst of community. And look at this. So, Cam, go to the next one, please. He vanished from their sight after that. And they say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, did not our hearts burn within us because we knew that this was Jesus. We knew that he was the one we had been chasing after. And now look at this. Now imagine for a moment you're in your resurrection body, okay? The body that God will give you for the rest of your existence that is, has no more gluten intolerance, has no more dairy intolerance, has six-pack abs, doesn't lose its hair unless you want it to, or has hair in all the right places. I don't know. Um, my dad, it's funny because all of his hair went from here to here, and he just, he's not super stoked about it. But So anyways, it's your resurrection body. Now, I'd be like, hey, can I go fly somewhere, right? Can I just, like, transport myself? I'd be wanting to show off. If I was the only one, Jesus is the only one in their midst that has his resurrection body. 
if it was me right now, I'd be like, guys, check this out. And I'd be like slam dunking, like jumping from, you know, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I'd be doing crazy stuff showing off. And you know what Jesus does? He says, oh yeah, we're going to skip. That's a duplication. Yeah, so Jesus shows back up in their midst. All right, this is so fascinating. Jesus shows back up in their midst. And they're still trying to figure out, wait, Jesus is alive? He's not dead? He's, He's resurrected? He's got this new body? Like, all the promises of God have come true in Jesus? And they're sitting there, and Jesus shows up in their midst. And he doesn't say, hey, watch me fly. Or, hey, watch me read your minds. What does he say? Read that. Do you have anything to eat? Of all the things you could do in a resurrection body, he wants a bite of salmon. What? What is that all about? I could think of a billion other things to do in my new body. What is going on there? Now maybe, just maybe, there's something more to this whole thing of food than just nourishing our stomachs. Maybe there's something more than just encountering one another. Maybe there's something more than just getting a taste of bread or a taste of fish. And I think that Jesus was trying to show this to the disciples. So let me give you some background real quick. All right, picture for a moment... So Jesus opens their eyes and he shows them him around a meal. And he says, give me a bite to eat. And he eats and they celebrate together. Let's go back. Is it Mark 14? Is that the next passage we have there, Cam? Good. I'm glad I did that right. So let's go back for a minute. Are you guys still with me? Have we, you guys buckled up, right? Are we, are we still together? I told you it was going to be kind of a safari scavenger hunt, right? So we've seen that maybe the scriptures tell us that actually healing and acceptance happened at the table, not just nourishment of our bodies, but nourishment of our souls. And that maybe we're not just encountering one another, but at a meal together, we're encountered by Jesus. And maybe there's one other thing going on here. And Betty brought out during her transition, which is awesome, and I love that you wore two different shoes. Um, But Betty brought us to this scene called the Last Supper. And it's in Mark chapter 14. It's the the disciples of Jesus eating this meal, the Passover meal, which was a very typical thing for Jews to do. It was celebrating the time in the Exodus when God basically came and, yeah, did some gnarly things to the Egyptians and did not do it to God's own people, the Israelites. And they celebrate that through this meal called the Passover meal. And Jesus takes their common Passover meal and hijacks it was something else. And instead of doing the normal thing they always did, Jesus says, this bread is my body broken for you. And this blood, this wine is the blood of the new covenant that I'm making for you. And they're like, what does this mean? I don't get it because they didn't get it yet. They didn't know what was going to happen. But look at this statement of Jesus. Mark 14, 25. Jesus tells them the very last part of this meal, this last supper, he says, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
Now, let's do a thought experiment for a second. Close your eyes and picture heaven. Close your eyes and picture heaven. Raise your hand if there's clouds involved. Busted. Raise your hand if you aren't, don't want to tell me because you think I'm going to call you out on what you picture. <laughs> Growing up for me, you can open your eyes, but I don't know what you pictured. But I'm guessing you might not have pictured this. So when I was growing up, heaven for me was clouds and harps and a lot of singing. Anybody else? Clouds and harps and a lot of singing. You don't want me to sing. If I'm next to you in heaven, it would not be very heavenly for you. If it's about singing. Because that's just not my thing. Well, think for a minute about the climax of the entire biblical story. Some of you have read the book of Revelation, if you're crazy, right? if you're daring, if you're willing. You read the book of Revelation and you get maybe what, like 6% of it? Maybe that. Somebody once said that a 6 or 7 year old Jewish boy in the first century would understand the book of Revelation better than our best scholars today. Because there's a lot of things going on there that we just don't get. But one of the things we do get, hopefully, is that it's not about us going off to clouds and harps, but there's a new heaven and a new earth coming together. That ultimately one day, Jesus' prayer to the Father, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, one day that prayer will be fulfilled. God's will, as it is in God's space, will be as it is in our space they will become one. And then we think, okay, so great, more singing. New heavens, new earth, all these things, and we know the wars, right? You picture Revelation, how many of you picture Jesus with the sword? And you picture the battles and all these things that it talks about, but do you know what the climax is of the book of Revelation? The climax of the scriptures, everything coming together into this one single point has nothing to do with wars. It's not even the new heavens and the new earth. It's not even the city the new Jerusalem, you know what it is? It's a party. It's only found in this one tiny little verse. And actually, before we go there, though, Isaiah gives us a taste of it. This was the expectation the Jews had. When you ask a Jewish person what heaven is going to look like, you know what they're going to picture? Food. Feasting. They're going to picture this promise in Isaiah chapter 25. Cam, is that what we have next? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. In other words, there will be no more darkness. There will be freedom. The sheet that covers all nations. Go ahead and keep going. God will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Have you heard that language before in another book? The book of Revelation, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will remove His people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. No more shame. No more darkness. No more death. You know what's there instead? Just a big, huge party with lots of and this isn't just any party. Revelation shows us. It's hidden, actually, in chapter 19. That's the last verse we're going to look at. And then we'll kind of pull all these things together. 
So John is describing his vision and he says, then I heard what sounded like a great, try to imagine this, don't just read this like a textbook or an encyclopedia, but try to imagine what John is seeing here. Put yourself in this. It's quiet in this room apart from my voice. But imagine what John is experiencing. He says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters. Can you hear that? And like peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah. So there's praise going on, yes. And it's like peals of thunder mixed with rushing waters. Can you imagine being at Niagara Falls in a thunderstorm? That would be called sensory overload. Right? And that pales in comparison to what John is describing. He's saying, this is thunder and lightning, and this is peals of thunder. This is a roar of rushing waters in the sound of all these people coming together singing hallelujah, which means praise be to Yahweh, our one true God. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let, the, let us rejoice and be glad. Listen to this. This is the climax of the story. And this is what we are tasting when we sit down for a meal. We're tasting so much more than bread. We're actually tasting a piece of the future. When Jesus comes back as the husband to get us his bride, the wedding supper of the Lamb, Jesus is not preparing us to sing at him for eternity, but to be his wife. And that will be celebrated with an eternal feast with no gluten allergies and no soy allergies and no dairy allergies and taste buds that are magnified by infinity because the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Go ahead, Kim. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Is it possible that when we sit down for a meal together, we are actually getting a taste of this feast of abundance and joy, of this idea that we will be nourished forever in the presence of of our king, who doesn't just want to be our king, he wants to be our lover, our spouse, and he wants to celebrate our union with him through food, around food, for the rest of our existence. How many of you get more excited about the idea of heaven knowing that it's a party? And there is no such thing as party fouls because you will be a renewed human being. We picture heaven as a feast, and we're starting to speak the biblical language. Who knows, maybe not only we as humans will get a new body, but maybe there will be pizza port 2.0. Have you ever thought about your job in light of this? Not to put you on the spot, but have you thought about every time somebody comes in to have a piece of pizza, that there's the potential for their eyes to be open? To see Jesus, that there's healing and acceptance that happens around the booth at your restaurant, and that it's a taste of heaven? Doesn't that add so much more meaning to what Tim does every day of his life? This is not just about nourishing souls or nourishing stomachs, this is about nourishing souls. 
This is about not just getting a taste of pizza, but getting a taste of the kingdom. I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I started seeing this, I could not just sit and take a bite of food and just be ambivalent about it, neutral about it, blah about it. I was like, this changes something. I am stepping into something. I'm partaking in a new reality here. If I have the right awareness. So, have you guys experienced what I'm talking about? Have you experienced healing around the table? Have you, like, this is so much bigger than just communion. Do you see that? This is, not to put down how we've done it in the past, but this is so much more than just one of us going and taking a little piece of bread and taking a bite and saying a quick prayer. This is about all of these themes of the scriptures coming together in a mighty, mighty way. I have an idea for practical application of this message, and it involves brick house barbecue. I don't know, or pizza port, or taco temple, because we're too many to just, can you imagine if we all just went to one place? But, but the practical application, in my mind of this, is what if we saw something that we do every day with the richness that the scriptures give it? Makes me hungry. I can't give away Kathy's zucchini, but there is much more going on here when you take a bite of this than just managing your blood sugar. When you invite someone over for a meal, there is much more going on than just trying to fill your social it's an expression of heaven. It's an expression of the future in the present. That is rich. Wow, I talked really fast. <laughs> it's interesting because this doesn't lead into some like really clear ministry time. Right? Like, okay, now, let's all pray for one another because it's obvious where we go from here. No, not at all. I've got nothing. But my hope is that when you go to lunch, there's a new meaning behind it. That when you go to lunch and you look across the table at the people you're with, that there's an added element of life there that's always been there, but maybe what was missing was our awareness. Are you guys with me on that? What are you guys thinking? What's, what's, yeah, help me out, Al. You know what, Al, I'm really sorry, bro. But I've been asked by, I'm not going to get into that. Can I ask you to stand, please, so that we can, we can keep that precedent going? You are loud. But if I don't ask you to stand and then someone quiet, thank you.